The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And with many others, words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers, uh, their number day by day, those who were being saved. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you once again just for this day, for the people that are here among us, God, that uh, we've been able to be friends, um, that we've been able to call a family um, on mission together, God. Um, we pray now as Randall brings this message that you would be teaching us what that means, what it means to be a family on mission, what it means to be a church for our city that is seeking you, that's seeking um, just a new life, a new way to live. Um, so, Father, just grace us with your presence in that way. Uh, let us know you are here. Let us know that you uh, have a plan that's greater than ours. We thank you for that, Father. Uh, it's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ricardo. All right, good morning, everybody. I'm feeling the energy. It's like that extra hour of sleep, like that good morning energy. I feel that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> if you're new this morning, my name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City, and we're just thankful that you're here this morning. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Acts chapter 2 and looking in verses 40 through 47. And as many of you know, we've been going through the book of Acts, uh, walking through uh, really what the, the beginnings of the church looked like and, and really the heart of, of the gospel, of, of what Jesus has done and that the spread of the church. Um, and so today, our message is a healthy church, a healthy church. And so as we look at the first church, what we see is a healthy church. Now, in 2017, uh, there was this former Facebook vice president of user growth, and he was talking to an audience at Stanford Graduate School of Business. And here's what he said. He says, I think we have created tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. And then he said, the short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops we've created are destroying how society works. And then referring to online interactions, he says, hearts, likes, thumbs up, no civil discourse, no cooperation, misinformation, mistruth. He said, this is a global problem. Now, with the growth of social media in not only our country, but the world, um, in the times that we're living in right now, in 2020, you could say that this is very true. That what he was telling us back then has really started to be unveiled in many ways that we 
maybe didn't even expect. And we have the ability to digitally connect with one another in an instant. But in many ways, we've lost the ability to have real, committed, healthy relationships. And today, I think we can say that this idea has crept into the way that we interact as the church. There's an epidemic that has crept into the church. But as we look at Acts 2, verses 40 through 47, and as we look at the first church and really what the heart of the church is, this should bring us back to what matters, what really matters. And I think just for us in this season uh, of being in COVID, being in a park, worshiping, Jesus, I think it just gets back to the simplicity of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a church. And so in the book of Acts, we've seen the beginning of the church and and how it's not defined by a cool worship service with lights and kids ministry and all of that. You're not seeing that here. But what we see are deeply committed followers of Jesus who are in a healthy, thriving relationship together. And there's this beautiful diversity, sensitivity, sacrifice, and unity amongst them. And so how did this happen? Well, as we've talked about before, Jesus had risen from the dead. And what he did next was he gathered his followers and instructed them in the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? And from that, there's this gospel explosion, this good news explosion that starts to happen. But it wasn't them. He says this. He says, wait on the Holy Spirit. Wait on the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, that's when you'll know what to do. And so as we looked at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we saw that the Spirit comes. And through prayer, the Spirit sends out Peter to preach to thousands And this group is a multi-ethnic group of men and women, over 3,000 it said numbered, and they came into a saving relationship with Jesus, a saving relationship with Christ. The, The church starts because of God. It was God who starts the church. And in today's text, we get this vision of what a healthy church looks like that is centered on the gospel. It's centered on Christ. And so, let's ask, what are the marks of a healthy church? Well, as we break down this text, we're going to see three things today. The first one is a common conviction. Second is an authentic community. And third is a radical unselfishness. Common conviction, an authentic community, and a radical unselfishness. So the first one, a common conviction. Look at verses 40 through 42 in Acts 2. It says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, there are two parts to this. The first part is this, that there's a common experience that they have. Verse 41 says, to those who received... His word were baptized, 
and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now in this, God has given this beautiful gift of a shared experience. First, it's receiving. Here's the thing about the gospel. You're going to see this all throughout the scriptures when it talks about becoming a Christian. It's received, not earned. It's received, not worked for. There's this common message of God's grace. See, we use this word, the gospel. What does that mean? Good news. See, there's, there's a difference between good news and good advice. What this is not is not good advice on how to live your life better. What this is is receiving good news that Jesus died for our sins, that he covers us with his grace. And there's a commonality that is shared amongst the people that said we're saved by God, not by our own work. Secondly, it says that they were baptized. And so we talked a little bit about this last week, but there's this common response to God's work. It's a common response to God's work. And so it's saying, you know what? I I can't do this. It's all God. And so we were responding to the gospel. Daryl Bach, who's a commentator on this text, says, Peter's concise reply concerning how to respond to the gospel, repent and show this response by participating in a rite that symbolizes forgiveness and cleansing into the life through Jesus Christ. And so again, there's this common experience that we share as believers. I've encouraged you. If, if you haven't, you, maybe you've received the gospel, but you've never been baptized into Jesus, I encourage you to do that. Right? Again, this is just showing the world and, and stepping in obedience and saying, I'm a believer in Jesus. We'd love to help you with that. We'd love to talk with you about that. But verse 42 says this, they they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now again, Bach points out the expression of devoting themselves has this idea of persistence or uh, persevering in something. The construction speaks out of an ongoing devotion that they have. Right? This isn't like a one-time thing or maybe like a few months and then you're gone type of thing. But there, there was this devotion that they had, not to themselves, but to God's word. A persistence. I'm going I'm to keep coming back to this. And so what is the apostles' teaching? Well, Jesus lived with his disciples for three years, teaching them, living among, like living with them, right? The incarnation, God with us, walked with his disciples, and in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he gives his disciples this task is to teach others. And so the, the apostles' teaching is grounded in everything that Jesus has said, everything that God's word says. This isn't their own ideas that they're coming up with here. But they're coming back to this is what God says. See, any faithful minister of the gospel is going to come back to God's word. It's not about what my ideas are, my thoughts are. I'm going to keep pointing back to look at God's word. Look at what God's word says. Right? This isn't their own message. See, it's grounded in Jesus and the gospel. Here's the thing. Times change. People change. God's word never changes. It's constant and true. The picture that uh, my mentor recently, we were talking about this, he, he painted in, in for me was this. He said, this is the handing off of the baton right here. And so he's a, he's a pastor in his 70s, right? Faithfully serving God for around 40 years, just minister of the gospel. He says, Randall, your job 
is just to hand off the baton, to pass off the baton. But many times what happens is we just hold the baton for ourselves. We just hold on to it. And so what we see here is that that's not what it's about. But the apostles' teaching is directly what they've received from Jesus. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, or the, the, the word of our God will stand forever. The word of our God will stand forever. Again, Bach, the commentator on this, says, Instruction is an important part of the new community. The centrality of Jesus and the preparation of the members to share in the new life and witness are key community concerns. And so again, there's this common conviction that they have around God's word. But secondly, it's this, that there's an authentic community. It's authentic. Look at verses 42 through 44. It says, And the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, verse 42 says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and now it says to the fellowship. To the fellowship. And so that word fellowship kind of sounds like a churchy word, right? Like what is fellowship? Well, the Greek word that's used here is koinonia. And so some of you have probably heard this before, but it's, it's used 19 times in the New Testament and it can be translated as intimacy. There's a deep in- intimacy. This is a willingness to let down their guard and be vulnerable with one another. Now, what, what is it that draws somebody in to be vulnerable? What is it that draws somebody in to be open and unguarded like this? Well, many times the thing that makes us more guarded is knowing that we're being judged or thinking that we're being judged or thinking that people don't care about us. But when you come into a community of people that are really grounded in the gospel and grounded in grace... You can understand that there's only one lawgiver and judge, it's God. <laughs> and you can also understand that there is a forgiveness in a, in, a, in a level playing field that we're all playing on where nobody's above other people. Right? That, that, that's a community of grace. When, when God is the authority and when we come in, we can be open and honest and say, you know what? I need God's grace just as much as anybody else. I need the gospel just as much as anybody else. The pastor needs the gospel just as much as anybody else. See, here's the thing. I have to preach the gospel to myself every single day. And that's what happens in a community of believers that can open up and have a koinonia type of experience. So how does this happen? Well, verse 42 says it's to the breaking of bread and the prayers. First, the breaking of bread. Now, this word only appears in the New Testament twice, and both times it's talking about a meal. Friendships are usually built around a table. And here's the thing. We all eat, right? We all eat. So we come together. As Christians, what what we see here is they weren't eating alone. They weren't eating alone. Do you remember how Jesus built his relationships? Many times it was around a meal. And now we see his followers building friendships like Jesus did. 
Secondly, it's through the prayers. What we see here is there is a community that was not seeking their own direction in life, but they were seeking God's direction. They were praying with and for one another. The prayers could refer to the fact that they were known for praying all types of prayers at all times of the day. Henry Nouwen in his book, In the Name of Jesus, reminds us of the power of koinonia when he says this. He says, we are called to proclaim the gospel together in community. He says, I need brothers and sisters to pray with me, to speak with me about the spiritual task at hand, and to challenge me to be pure in mind, heart, and body. It is Jesus who heals, not I. Jesus who speaks truth, not I. Jesus, who is Lord, not I. This is, the ver- this is very clearly made visible when we proclaim the redeeming power of God together. Koinonia is a commitment to what matters most. And many times what happens is we naturally don't want to commit ourselves to the work of building koinonia. And yes, I said work. You know, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes blocking off your calendar, it takes meetups, right? You see, the first church had deep, meaningful, committed relationships held together by Jesus. And I hope that, you know, even as we gather together in times like this, when we're coming together and just worshiping, that you're encouraged by that, right? Because there's a commitment there that's saying, you know what, this is important. Lastly, there's a radical and selfishness. Look at verses 45 through 47. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So how does this happen? You know, how does this radical unselfishness happen? Well, it says in verse 47 that they are praising God. Again, what I'm telling you is this, that it's not natural to live this way. It's not natural to live this radically unselfish type of life. What's natural is for me to be thinking about myself, doing my thing. But what we see is that God is at the center of this community See, it's not built on good people. It's a community built on the grace of God. The grace of God. And so what has Christ done? We need to ask that, right? What has Christ done? Well, what he did was he radically sacrificed himself for all of us. He radically sacrificed himself. And so because of the gospel, no longer does a Christian... And a group of people like us, the church, focus on ourselves. But now we, we focus on God and one another. What this is, is a, is a focus off of self and onto God and onto loving our neighbor. Right? But that doesn't happen just because, again, like we're, we're just good people. No, what happens is God takes the focus off ourselves and says, put it on Jesus. Put it on Christ. See, verse 45 says this, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. See, how does the church exist? How does it exist? 
But what it is, is it's this, that God calls every believer to live by faith. To live by faith. To live in a way where we trust God and not live by sight, but live by faith. Again, talking with my mentor who's been a pastor for years, he started a church. I said, how did that church, how does that church exist for 40 years? He said, Randall, it's sacrificing in faith. It's faith. And so how has Grace City started and how have we been here for five years? Faith. Faith in God. And every one of you that have been here and been a part of this and sacrificing in faith. See, at the end of the day, the church can get skewed and it can be self-driven instead of Christ-driven. And so today I encourage you, just like I was encouraged by my friend this week, to live by faith. It never stops being about faith. We want it to stop being about faith at some point, right? Like I'm just living by faith. I don't understand. Like my friend Janie said, she said, uh, it just feels like a constant trust fall all the time. I'm just constantly trust falling. God, another trust fall? Yeah, trust me and I'm going to catch you because he's faithful. And look at the gospel surge that happens by people who are living in faith, trusting in God. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see where the emphasis is? Is it like, oh, well, they were out there doing a bunch of stuff and so people were getting saved? No, it says, and the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Salvation happens from the Lord. The Lord does it. And so again, as we're trusting the Lord, living in faith, trusting the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us and the power of the gospel, you know what God does? He starts saving people. And so here's what happens. People on the outside saw that the church was different. They saw that the church was different. In his book, Surprise the World, author Michael Frost writes about the impact of early Christians under Roman rule. Under Roman rule. And here's what he he says. He says, Ordinary believers devoted themselves to sacrificial acts of kindness. They loved their enemies and forgave their persecutors. They cared for the poor and fed the hungry. In the brutality of life under Roman rule, they were the most stunningly different people anyone had ever seen. Indeed, their influence was so inspiring that the 4th century Emperor Julian feared they might take over the empire. Stunningly different. What's the call today as we look at the book of Acts is that you and I, the church, are stunningly different from the rest of the world. Not going to make sense. Why? Because God's in our life. Christ is the center. Christ is on the throne. So how does this happen? Well, God works a miracle in our hearts and transforms us into self-sacrificing people. Again, this is not natural. This is supernatural. This is from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so just some takeaways today. As we think about how does this apply to our lives? Well, the first one is this. What are your deepest convictions? What are your deepest convictions? Because for some of us, we would say, yeah, it's God's word. 
My convictions are shaped by God's word. But maybe if we're honest, in many ways, it's not shaped by God's word, but our deepest convictions are shaped by our gut. Here's what I feel. Here's what I think. It doesn't match up with my line of thinking. And so I'm going to skip that passage in scripture where it talks about this or that. No. Are our deepest convictions shaped by God's word? Because that's what the first church was shaped by. Was shaped by God's word. And so that's something I want you to think about. The second one is this. Who are your closest relationships? Who are your closest relationships? And are they taking you closer to Jesus or further away from Jesus? Closer to Jesus or further away? Because the impact that we see of this body of believers is that the closest relationships, we're bringing them closer to Jesus. And what we need is this. We need each other to sharpen one another. As iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another, right? And so we need the koinonia. We need the fellowship. We need the community because you know what? We need to be sharpened. And so who are your closest relationships? And again, are they taking you closer or further from Jesus? Last one. What are you willingly sacrificing for? Is it for God's kingdom or is it for my castle? Right? My castle, I'm trying to build up my own thing. Or have I said, you know, I'm giving my life away for the sake of the gospel. I want to live for the kingdom of God. Here's the, the evaluation point. Here's the reality, the vulnerability point. It's saying this, as I look at my life, as I look at my finances, as I look at everything, can I say before God that I've been a good steward of the kingdom of God? Right, like I've been a good steward of all of these resources, all the things that God's given me. Right, because as these Young believers were looking at their lives. They were saying, I'm giving for the sake of the gospel. And the beautiful thing about scripture is this. It says that we don't do this out of compulsion like I have to. But we do this out of grace, understanding the the great gift that God has given to us. It's out of joy. And so we ask God, okay, out of joy, help me to live for the kingdom. Help me to live for the sake of the gospel. Not too long ago, I was watching um, Prince Caspian. It's part of the Chronicles of Narnia series. And one of the things that, um, that, that we saw, you, you see in the movie, is that they were fighting for themselves. That one part in the movie, they were fighting for themselves, and they lost the battle. And then at the end, before they go into battle, they yell this, they say, for Narnia and for Aslan. And as you know, like Narnia is like the kingdom and Aslan is the Jesus figure throughout the the Chronicles of Narnia. And it wasn't until they got that that they started to win the battle. It's for the kingdom, it's for Jesus, right? Until the church understands that, we're going to go into battles 
that weren't for the kingdom, but for ourselves. And it's not until we understand it's, it's Jesus. It's for him. It's for his kingdom. See, is our life wrapped up in that? Think about this for a minute. The church was birthed out of sacrifice. It was birthed out of sacrifice. And I want you to think about this. This is the gospel today, friends. Jesus was born to give his life away for you and me. He was born to die. He was born to sacrifice. And the fact that God gave himself away in that, that's what changes our hearts. That's what changes our lives. Is when we see from the very depths of who we are that God loved me like that. That God loved me like that. Galatians 2.20 says this. This is Paul speaking. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and listen to this, gave himself for me. How do I live a life of sacrifice? When I see the one who sacrificed his life for me. This is the foundation for a healthy church. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so let's remember him today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves to try and figure out our lives. And I pray that we will be a group of believers that live by faith. That today is... is we are out in the middle of your creation, God. That we are people that are reminded that every day is a gift. Day by day, there's grace that you've offered us. And so we pray that today we will live trusting you, believing in you, and that this church will be a Christ-centered church one that is not built out of ourselves, but built upon the solid rock of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.